So, all right. Hello once again to all of you, all of our faithful listeners out there across the cotton belt. It is time once again for the Cotton Companion podcast. We know that y'all are tuning in from California all the way to the Carolinas, and we are glad to have you back with us uh, for this, the 21st episode of the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast. Our podcast is now old enough to go down to Bill Street and celebrate its 21st birthday tonight, Jim, if it so uh, if it so wanted to. Um, uh, you have just heard me reference my partner in crime, Mr. Jim Stebman. He is back with us, uh, back from yet another summer 2016 road trip. Jim, you did a little work and a little play this time. Isn't that right? That's exactly right, Beck. And I don't really think it matters where whether it was work or play. All I can tell you is it was really, really hot everywhere I was last week. <laughs> From the uh, you know from from central Arkansas all the way up into uh, into the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was actually going to mention that here in the run up as I'm introducing our episode. I know you were up at the Southern Cotton Jenners summer meeting. Summer meeting, which was where was it this so, time? Little Rock this year. Little Rock. Okay, so I was kind of headed in that way. I went across the bridge. I was over at Bay, Arkansas, as you know. Uh, midweek last week, I went to a little. Sinjina Field Day, great field day, caught up with those guys over there. Uh, but it was just one of these days where, my goodness, it was, you know, uh, felt like it was in the triple digits out there. And it's so hot, and you have hot air moving in. We're in this time of year where you have like a daily, just afternoon, just thunderstorm. Uh, the, the analogy I'm wanting to use here, my farming stepdad always used uh, about a, a cow. Uh, Urinating on a flat rock is the way I would put it. It, it was <laughs> it was be how I described this uh, in the most G-rated way possible. This rain that came up as I was over in Bay, Arkansas last week, but it was, um, you know, it's hot out there. Long story short, it's that time of year. We're getting these daily afternoon rains here in the mid South. I feel like the guys down there uh, in the Mississippi Delta and over in the Arkansas Delta feel like they could get one more good, sure enough, good rain. Uh, this crop will have just about made it. I think it's been a pretty good year as far as the rains that have been around. That's right, and it's one of the things we'll talk about when you hear in just a few minutes when we get into into some of our news items. But boy, there are some places over in West Texas that would be happy to take some of this rain off of us, yeah. off our hands right now. Yeah, I don't doubt. They really need at least one, maybe two more good rains. Yeah. So uh, that's a little preview of what Jim's going to talk about. We're going to start today as we always do. Uh, here in a second with Jim leading us through the most uh, prevalent news stories of the day in and around the Cotton Belt. And for this week, for this podcast, that's definitely going to include a crop progress update, which Jim is going to bring us up to speed on. He's going to talk a little bit about the WASD report, which he can tell you what that means. I cannot. Um, and then, uh, But it's obviously an important economic report that came out last week. And then we've had a flurry of little news tidbits over the past week about all of these potential ag companies, merge, uh, the various mergers that may or may not be taking place uh, that will impact the cotton market. As you all are no doubt aware, there have been some corporate flirtations between Monsanto and Bayer and between Dow and DuPont and and uh, what's the other? Syngenta and ChemChina. There you go. Um and there may be some others, as far as we know, that nobody knows about at this point. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? So Jim's going to bring us up to speed on all that. And then, after that, uh, while he was there in Little Rock last week with the Southern Cotton Jenners Association, Jim caught up with none other than the NCC president and CEO, Mr. Gary Adams. It's 
a big interview that he hauled in for the Cotton Companion this week. Jim, can you just briefly give me the Cliff's notes on what y'all talked about? Well, Gary was over there uh, as part of the presentation uh, with the program, um, basically providing the economic uh, impact or economic report to the uh, to the group that was assembled there. And it, it's some of the things we talked about in the interview, and we'll get into it. He obviously provided his thoughts on on what had happened in the market since the WASDE report came out. Um, but basically, he was also talking about uh, the plans that the council and the rest of the cotton industry has to continue to seek opportunities for cottonseed. Uh, it was great to have the uh, the cost the cost sharing program for Jenny, uh, but that program ends uh, next week, and uh, there are still some uh, still some opportunities that uh, that are being pursued at this point. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. Uh, and also about some of the market and political challenges ahead, not only here in the U.S., but also uh, from other countries. So it's, it was a, it's about a good 10, uh, 10 and a half minute interview. Uh, Gary's always very eloquent and, uh, and covers a lot of things very, very well. So I hope everybody will, will stay tuned to listen. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt it. Gary's always a good interview. Uh, I've just taken off one set of my headphones here to confirm that, yeah, I'm not just hearing things. We, guys, if y'all don't know, we share a wall with the dentist's office here in our... Cordova office and uh, which I guess is better than working out of a garage that's true yes at least we have air conditioning so uh at the you know highly world famous and high-tech cotton companion studio that we're operating in shares a wall Mm -hmm. directly with this dentist office and we think they may have gotten into the laughing gas over there this this afternoon (laughs) because I can hear them chatting and laughing so if y'all are picking that up don't be alarmed uh at least there's no screaming. Yeah, there's no, there's no they don't have the drills going, no. so that's so there's one uh, silver lining. Anyhow, we need to head to break. Uh, on the flip side of this thing, Jim will be bringing you our news segment, all the news of the day. So just stick around with us, and we will be right back. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Welcome back to the Cotton Companion. As Beck said, we're going to get into some of the newsy items uh, impacting the market in the industry right now. We're going to start, as we always have during the production season, with the latest USDA crop progress report. This would be the report as of July 24th. Uh, and they're still measuring three different uh, three different attributes for this crop, squaring, uh, bowl set, and then overall crop condition. So let's start with squaring. Uh, right now, as of, uh, as of the 24th, it looked like 85% of the crop had squared. That was up 8% over the past week. Uh, realistically, we've got... Uh, this crop is made uh, at this point. Uh, every state, I think with the exception of maybe Oklahoma and Kansas, 
which were later planted cotton, uh, is in the 90 to uh, eight, high 80s to uh, 90 percent squaring numbers. We've got seven states that are sitting at or above their five-year average. So uh, I think to say it's it's safe to say that uh, uh, we're we're definitely into the fruiting stage and uh, and that things are progressing well. Uh, when you get into uh, into bowl set at this point, we're looking at 46 percent of the crop is setting bowls right now. That's 18 percent up from uh, the previous week. Uh, Again, seven states are running ahead of their five-year average on that, led by, if you believe the numbers, Arkansas with 97% of the crop showing bowl set at this point. Uh, it's a little surprising, but uh, normally I, I would figure Arizona would be uh, way out ahead, but nope, it's uh, right here in the Mid-South, Arkansas this year. We don't think that's the USDA getting those two state abbreviations mixed up? Should or we? if they transpose numbers. I guess we'll find out next week. <laughs> When the, uh, you know, maybe it's 79% instead of 97%. We'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, to be, I have full confidence in the USDA. Oh, we uh, always have full confidence yeah. in the USDA. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, cotton condition at this point, uh, you're starting to see the impact of the high temperatures uh, and the lack of water in certain areas. Uh, for this past week, we're looking at 35% of the crop, and this is belt wide. 35% of the crop is rated fair. 52% uh, is rated good to excellent, which is still, you know, that's that's a, a high number for this time of year. 13% uh, is rated poor to very poor. And as you would expect, uh, Texas leads the way in terms of the uh, of the the lower conditions, although their other their other ratings are in, in pretty good shape, uh, primarily because of. Uh, you know, needing some rain and needing some extra moisture in certain parts of the state. Now, as we understand, harvest has begun uh, down in South Texas. The early reports out of out of that area are uh, are very very promising in terms of yield. So uh, that will get every hopefully get the uh, the season off to a really good start. And then again, these are things that uh, that USDA looks at as they uh, as they look at their their monthly reports, uh, which we're going to shift right over to. Uh, the July 12th WASD report, and I've got to I've got to make sure I get this correct. It's the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimate. Yeah, World Agriculture report. Supply and Demand Estimate. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had it. You know. Yeah, I think between both of us, we probably would have come up with it. No, um, no, I had no clue. Go for it. Keep going. <laughs> uh, let's just say over the last few months, this report has been really kind of a non-event. Uh, the numbers really haven't changed one way or the other. They go, they would go up and they would go down, but for for the most part, they were going sideways uh, in terms of production, in terms of export numbers, and particularly in terms of in terms of world carryover and supply. Uh, the July report, as one as as our friend Dr. Don Shirley over at University of Georgia described it, was an unexpected gift, and he basically calls it Christmas in July. Uh, for the cotton industry. Uh, after the report came out, cotton prices finally made that move out of that 64 to 66 cent range all the way up to 74, 75 cents. And that was in one, you know, pretty much closed limit up for about two or three days. Uh, that has been a great surprise. And here's the reason why. And a lot of economists are, are just sitting there still shaking their heads going, 
this is wonderful. We we can't believe this. Um, just looking at some of the, some of the numbers in there, uh, USDA increased U.S. exports for the, for the 2015 crop year. This is last year. Uh, bumped that up 200,000 bales. They are now projecting this year's crop, the 2016 crop, at 15.8 million bales. That's up a million bales, and that's based on the acreage number that they released in June of 10 million acres, which, as we've discussed before, may or may not be real. We'll find out as we get into some of the reports from, you know, some of the months ahead. A lot of folks around the cotton belt kind of raised an eyebrow right, with that number. Right, uh, right. now they're looking at, they've raised U.S. exports for the 2016 year, up a million bales. Uh, they're saying world beginning stocks for 2016 have been lowered by 2 million bales, uh, primarily due to revisions in production and use uh, for the soon-to-be ending 2015 crop year. World production went down 620,000 bales. Uh, some of that we've, we've known about uh, with, with, with uh, reduced acres in, uh, in China, Pakistan, India, uh, and, and I think Brazil also. Uh, and on top of that, world use, or basically demand, went up a million bales. Uh, which is a pretty significant number. This is really the first real increase in use that uh, the industry has seen since 2012. So, you know, that was, that was really a, a big, big trigger uh, for the price movement. Uh, that also takes the projected world ending stocks for the 2016 year down 3.5 bales, or 3.5 million bales, excuse me. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it, it just basically had a huge impact on the market. Uh, when you look at some of the other results on this, in fact, I checked the cotton prices before we walked in here mm -hmm. to record, and right now, today, uh, of course, all the action is still on the December 2016 crop. Uh, it's still, the price today is sitting at uh, at 70, well, it's, what was it, 73 and a quarter, 73 and three quarters, uh, which is a remarkable increase over what we've saw, you know, we're seeing a month ago. Yeah, a month ago, I mean, for the past two years, hadn't it been? I mean, if it, I mean, yeah, truly, we, I forget. It's been stagnant for so long. I forget. We were was. actually kind of getting pretty ho hum about it. It's like I'm really tired of bringing you this news again. <laughs> right. But here we are. We're we still just, in the '60s. We could just play the replay of the previous week for the past That's right. year. You know. That's right. So uh, you know. So we're, we're. I mean, everybody is thrilled. It's sort of like a, a nice, you know, fresh air in the market at this point. Certainly, when I was in the, in the meeting in Little Rock last week, the uh, optimism had had certainly increased a little bit uh, at that point. Obviously, it's still too early to tell, and as, as you'll hear in, in the uh, discussions with Gary Adams, there's still some other factors out there that could, you know, potentially pull that price back down. And in fact, you know, when, when you look at some of the information from other, other economists in the market, uh, they're expecting a, a current trading range to be basically right now a 20 cent range between 65 and 85 cents, but a more realistic range a 12 cent range between 68 cents and 80 cents but still that is a tremendous improvement oh over, yeah over where we've been for the last couple of years I mean, not, again we know it's not dollar cotton but it, it's the fact that we have been stuck looking mm -hmm. at a number that starts with six for umpteen weeks in a row you know any improvement on that is truly just a breath of fresh air and we, and we see it you know with the folks I inter you and I interact with in the field mm -hmm. I see it on social media. There's new energy. 
you know, and I know a lot of y'all, actually, if you listen to this podcast, you probably don't, but a lot of the farmers that we run into say, oh, you tweet, you tweeted, you know, (laughs) kind of frowned (laughs) upon. But when good news like this hits, we see how many of of our farmers really are engaged and they are, you know, Facebook and Twitter and and everything else, letting us know that they're breathing a sigh of relief. It's welcome news. Well, you know, and and anytime the market makes a jump like that, obviously there were tons of rumors flying around uh, in those first two to three days after the report came out and the market reacted. You know, I was I was hearing rumors. None none of these, you know, were were substantiated by any means. But you know, the prices had jumped into the 80s, you know, 80 cent range, and uh, that somebody was had actually sold cotton for a dollar. And you know, uh, there's no way to back that up at this point. I think a lot of it is, you know, it was was just excitement and overreaction and and wishful thinking all kind of rolled together. Uh, but the reality is, the market has moved. Yeah, and uh, and it has moved up, and uh, we'll we'll just kind of see what happens. Obviously, we'll get new numbers in August. Uh, I think a lot of the economists are kind of sitting back and, and taking waiting for those numbers to see if everything is still holding, if the same patterns are still there. Uh, then I think the, you know they're going to basically say, you know, thank you USDA, you've opened the gates and the bulls are running yeah. again. Yeah, uh, a little antidote. I was over last week at a. I can't even remember if I told you about this. At the American Cod Shippers here in Memphis each summer, they run an international cotton institute, and it's they bring in all these bright young folks who work in the cotton industry, uh, a lot of merchants, traders, people who are who are going whose families run big shipping and and uh, mills and things. I mean, kids from all around the world. A lot of them Ivy League uh, educated, very smart, much smarter than myself. Um, I'll come to the school for six or seven weeks, and basically what uh, AXA, Mr. Bill Griffin over there, has them do is he splits them up into groups, and they all act as like a trading uh, co-op, I don't know what you would call them, a group of traders. And they decide, you know, what they're going to do, buy, sell, and uh, it's, of course, monopoly money. He gives them, you know, so many dollars of monopoly money that they start with, and they had all been making a steady profit because the market had been so predictable for the five weeks that they had been at this school, and then the week before graduation, they everything all, blew up. All of their groups went belly up <laughs> because this this was so out of the blue, and and they were all you know down in the mouth about it. Of course, they all passed and and came away with a wealth of knowledge about how the market works. But, but they will never play Monopoly again. Yeah, will they? yeah, I think that. Well, they got a real world. They lesson, got real world they? Monopoly yeah, going yeah, now. Yeah. So anyhow, <laughs> welcome back to Boardwalk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> do not pass go. Just a couple other items that uh, we want to talk about briefly. Uh, it's summer. Uh, the National Cotton Council has its uh, Producer Information Exchange Program, or is, is affectionately known in the industry as the Pie Tours, uh, going. Uh, these are sponsored by Bayer through a grant to the Cotton Foundation. Uh, this is the 28th year that this uh, the Pie Program uh, has been in place. It helps. Uh, Basically, it, it helps participants boost overall marketing operation efficiency by gaining perspectives in in other in things such as land preparation, planting, fertilization, pest control, uh, irrigation, harvesting, and seeing things that their peers are doing in other parts of the country using current technology. Uh, so basically, what it comes down to is you get uh, get groups of farmers from each of the four regions of the Cotton Belt. Uh, and they travel to another area 
of the Cotton Belt to spend a week uh, touring and talking and, and visiting and, and seeing what's happening in, in other parts of the area. Um, right now, uh, the first tour happened in mid-July where a group of Mid-South producers spent a week over in North and South Carolina uh, looking at, uh, at operations over in the Southeast. Uh, a week later, the group of Southeast growers came to the Mid-South and spent a week, uh, primarily down in the uh, Mississippi Delta and, and, and Louisiana after starting here in Memphis for a day or so. Uh, the third tour uh, took a growers, uh, 11 growers from the Southwest out to California's San Joaquin Valley. Uh, which will be a totally different experience for uh, for a lot of those guys. And the fourth and final tour uh, will come up uh, in mid-August when a group of Western producers come to Texas. And uh, from what I understand, that week-long tour will, will take them down into that coastal bend area uh, where they'll see operations over in around Corpus and, uh, and over in that area, as well as up on the high plains around Lubbock. So uh, it's, a, it's a great program. Uh, the growers gain quite a bit out of it, uh, obviously not just in terms of education, but also in terms of building relationships with growers in other parts of the country and yeah. and sharing information. So, Have you uh, ever tagged along? With I have not tagged along on, yeah. on one of these. Uh, it's never seemed to fit our summer schedule, yeah. which is, is basically, you know, a couple of days in the office and then off on field tours. Yeah. So... Uh, I did. The only reason I ask, I did it a couple. Actually, I did it a couple years in a row when I first came on about eight years ago. And it's it's truly a neat tour. I would encourage y'all, uh, if you were involved with the council at all, and and big props to Bayer for making it possible. You know, it's not cheap to to get everybody all to play mixer with growers all around mm -hmm. the country. But it, man, it's a great experience. I mean, we see it. You know, Jim and I because it's part of our job to get out on a to get out on someone else's farm. I, I wonder how many cotton producers, you know, you, you'll take a vacation. I'm not saying that growers aren't really well traveled, but how often are you out on a, on a guy's farm who's from 12 hours from you to see, you know, and, and what we see is these four regions of the cotton belt. It is a big old cotton belt and, and conditions and circumstances on farms are so varied from coast to coast mm -hmm. it's a lot of times you wonder how you know how we all produce the same thing right do you wonder if these are, if this is the same country i mean if yeah. you know if you were to take an alien and put him on a farm in uh you know uh, idaloo texas and then bring him over and put him on a farm down in tifton georgia he would think he was not into you know the same country or um, anyhow, I'm, I'm rambling here, but the point is it, it's truly a great program to get out there and see, you know, learn a lot. You can learn from the challenges that your uh, counterparts deal with and, and probably take home a tip or two that can help you be a better farmer in the process. Right, and, you know, and also to be sure, the, the, the this is not the only exchange program the council does. This is the only one that's exclusively related to cotton. Uh, earlier this summer, they also had a group of growers from the south uh, primarily cotton producers who travel to Idaho as part of another exchange program that the council does in cooperation with some of the ag organizations in the Midwest. Uh, so it truly is a look at a totally different world and a totally different group of crops uh, and things like that. So this was the year for the southern growers to go north, up in this case up to the Pacific Northwest. Next year it'll be time for the Midwest growers to come back to the cotton belt, which is always an entertaining uh, yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, just as fun to play host. I think that it they, is. they rely on their farmers 
to play host as much as they ask them to, to get on the road. Yeah, so. from what I understand, they really like looking at the uh, at the cotton pickers. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do, yeah. Okay, last item. Uh, as Beck mentioned, uh, there's been some news over the last week or so over some of the potential mergers and, and changes in the uh, in the the ag industry. Um, Dow and DuPont seem to be rolling right along toward getting their uh, their deal squared away by the end of this year. Uh, last week, the shareholders of both DuPont and Dow Chemical voted to approve all of the proposals necessary to complete the merger of the two companies. Uh, and they're expecting this whole merger transaction to close sometime before the end of this year, pending, of course, all closing conditions and regulatory approvals. Uh, as soon as the merger is finished, then they'll start working to separate into three independent businesses, one of which will be agriculture, uh, to uh, basically operate independent independent from the other groups. All of them will be will be publicly traded companies under the umbrella of Dow DuPont. So uh, that one seems to be moving right along and moving very smoothly at this point. The other one that everybody that people have been watching is the uh, the Monsanto and Bayer. Uh, and, and the only way I can describe this is they continue to dance with each other. Bayer came in, made an initial offer to Monsanto, which Monsanto rejected. They upped that offer, uh, I think, to $125 a share. Uh, Monsanto's response was, no, th- uh, but keep talking. Uh, now there are some analysts that are looking at, at this potential merger saying it could take, it may take $140 a share to make the deal work. Uh, but Bayer is starting to get a little bit of a shareholder pushback, not, you know, not only in terms of uh, why are we doing this, we need to focus on other parts of our business, uh, but there's also some shareholders, from what I understand, who just say, just go for it and let's make it a hostile, you know, a hostile <laughs> bid at this point. Uh, meanwhile, Monsanto has also, from what we understand, initiated talks with BASF. So uh, who knows what's going to happen with this one at this point. Something's going to happen. Uh, but I don't think anybody can was is willing to stick their neck out and say what it will be uh, or when things will happen. Uh, as far as Syngenta and ChemChina, uh, just a quick statement from, from both companies last week. Uh, things seem to be moving along smoothly there. There's optimism from both companies that this deal will be approved by the end of the year as well. So um, that seems to be the, uh, the hot stove items in terms of, of what companies are doing. Um, obviously, it's uh, not only hot stove from that perspective, but the, certainly the companies are moving ahead and, and continuing to do what they're doing. Uh, we are uh, our 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 field travel schedule is is heating up again as well as we'll start hitting field days both for uh, uh, multiple companies here over the next uh, next month and a half. Heating up literally and. Yes. Uh, metaphorically yes absolutely so anyway that's all that's all the news we have for this point uh again stay tuned for the uh you know for the interview with gary adams i think you'll find it very very interesting indeed yeah we will if you'll hang around through this quick break we will be right back with you with mr gary adams ceo and president of the national cotton council so stick with us we'll be right back
I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas today at the Southern Cotton Jenner Summer Meeting and visiting with Gary Adams, who's president and CEO of the National Cotton Council. Uh, Gary was in as part of the, part of the program this morning, talking about some of the uh, the cotton economic situations and also looking at the uh, at the current state of the cotton seed designation and some other programs. Gary, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, just sort of getting into things, I think probably over the last week and a half has probably been some of the most encouraging news the cotton industry's had in, uh, in quite some time after uh, USDA's supply demand report came out. Uh, from, the, from your perspective, from the, the council's perspective, things like this, this is obviously good news. It's been good news for prices. Well, it is, and certainly when you when you just look at the financial pressure that we've seen, particularly in uh, for producers dealing with uh, high cost of production and with weak market prices, it has, you know, it's been an encouragement for them to see uh, some strength and some rally in prices. And we've added about eight cents to the futures contract since that U uh, USDA report came out, and 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 really prices trading at some of the highest levels we've seen probably in a couple of years now. Uh Based on some of these numbers that we've seen, is it uh, is it too early to say we've we've turned the corner that maybe we're uh, you know we're starting to climb out of this this hole we've been in for the last couple of, couple of years? Well, it, you know, hopefully it, it does uh, maybe signal that that the market that we've gone through recently maybe hopefully we've established a bottom there. Uh, I do think there's a couple of things we have to be cautious about, and and whether or not we fully turned a corner is is up in the air because a couple of a couple of things that, that played into these to the market optimism is USDA made some adjustments in the expected production for uh, some countries such as India and Pakistan. So that was part of it was just the expectation that we may not see as much cotton produced in those countries. And we always have to remind ourselves it's still early in the growing season, just like it is here in the in the United States. A lot can happen between now and harvest. So I, I do throw at least that one caveat out uh, that we've got to watch how those crops develop uh, internationally. Well, and, and I think in terms of in terms of your presentation, always everything seems to to hinge back on China, and uh, and their and their programs at this point. It looks like the reserve sale program has gone reasonably well for them, and, and that's been part of the cause for optimism and in some of the uh, in some of I guess the uptake numbers or, or usage numbers, correct? Yeah, it does appear. You know, we've now. Oh, I guess we're about three months into uh, China doing those auctions, and they've been fairly structured and on an orderly basis. And for the most part, what has been offered uh, has actually been purchased either by mills or traders that are going to sell to mills at a later date. Uh, and and that it, usually that's been at prices ranging from anywhere from the low 80s to the low 90 cent range. So hopefully that shows that there's some uh, there's some demand by. Uh, China's textile industry for cotton. It's just that, you know, unfortunately, with their cotton moving into reserves and then with China having limited the amount of import quota they announced, that uh, I think some of the Chinese mills were, were, were a little bit starved for cotton. So hopefully there's some demand that will continue to build as we go forward. Uh, polyester competition is always a concern for us. So that's, that's, that's one of the factors we're going to watch as well. Okay. I noticed uh, in, in your presentation you were talking about, I guess, Vietnam has now become our, our largest export market, uh, followed closely by Turkey. Uh, obviously there are probably some concerns with Turkey at this point following some of the, uh, the recent political issues there. Uh, what are the, how, does, how could this possibly impact uh, some of our export opportunities? 
Yeah, and I think on on Turkey there are there are concerns there. Obviously, the one the one thing that we know uh, with in regard to the Turkish market is we went through an anti-dumping investigation with Turkey. Uh, we know there was a lot of political motivations around that investigation. It, it concluded in April, and as a result of that investigation, Turkey now imposes a duty of three percent on any U.S. cotton that goes into Turkey, and that. There is no duty imposed on any uh, cotton from a from another country, so automatically that's putting us at a bit of a disadvantage. Uh, I think the other thing we have to watch for going forward is just uh, you know the uh, the uncertainty there with their political situation. Uh, hopefully that will find uh, some resolution and doesn't disrupt the trade between the two countries. But Turkey's a, a key market, so we we always are going to watch that. Uh, Vietnam is our largest market. They've been a, a, a strong growth market. Uh, and I think they're poised to continue to be a growth market for the, um, for the United States. We see a lot of investment going into Vietnam in, in new facilities, and a lot of that, some of that is Chinese mills or South Korean mills that are investing in Vietnam and, and building plants. And I think a lot of them are, are planning on a future for Vietnam. As, a, as Vietnam being one of the signatory countries to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that there is some potential growth for Vietnam's textile industry if and when that's eventually ratified. So there's some, I think, a growth market there, but, you know, TPP's fate is still uh, not fully settled either. And particularly as we're moving into an election year, and uh, and, and who knows what, what whoever the new administra administration ends up being, uh, who knows what the, these partnership situations are going to look like. Looking at the, uh, again, from, from the U.S. perspective, uh, let's shift to cottonseed for just a minute. Uh, I think there was a really nice, strong attempt early this year uh, to have cottonseed designated as another oil seed. It garnered lots of uh, interest and support, uh, sort of by you know, bipartisan support, which from a Congress that uh, has not been known for that for, for quite a while. Uh, but obviously was, uh, in the end, was kind of stymied by, uh, by Secretary Vilsack's uh, judgment or, or on, the, on the program. That did, though, lead to this, uh, to the Ginning Cost Share Program. Uh, the sign-up deadline for that program is, is August 5th. Uh, it's rapidly approaching. Do you have any indications on how that program is going so far? Well, I, and, I, and I'll say, uh, too, just kind of as a, as, a, as a thank you to Secretary Vilsack and, and USDA, yes, we didn't get to where we wanted to be on the cottonseed designation with the Secretary, but uh, the industry is very appreciative for USDA uh, pushing forward with this cost share program and, uh, and, and being able to uh, uh, implement that program in a timely manner because it was announced on the 6th of June, sign up started on the 20th of June, and, and really for the most part, uh, we haven't heard a lot of glitches or problems in the countryside. Once growers started going in shortly after the 20th and uh, they received a letter from USDA kind of outlining what USDA viewed as, that, as the certified acreage that a grower had for 2015, so that establishes the basis for payments. Uh, we understand that growers have been uh, already receiving payments from USDA, so USDA has is already issuing those funds, and that's that's very encouraging to see. So, uh, so we haven't heard a lot of uh, a lot of glitches at all uh, in the process. But what we don't know at this point, obviously, is we don't we don't know how many growers have made it into their FSA office mm -hmm. yet to take care of that uh, uh, signing up for that program. So. 
uh, just in the strongest ter possible terms, we are encouraging growers to make sure they take care of this before the August 5th deadline and hopefully get everybody in that is eligible and get them signed up so they can receive this assistance. Right. As, as we understand it, there are no extensions on this. August 5th is the hard, hard, no, nothing beyond that point deadline. That, that, that is the word we have received in the, in the very firmest terms from USDA, <laughs> and we have tried to convey that to our growers is it's August 5th, uh, uh, be in and enroll by August 5th, or, uh, or you're left out of the program. So make sure you make it happen by August 5th. Okay. Beyond August 5th, still looking at cottonseed, I think there's obviously the industry still feels there's some value uh, in it as, as another oilseed designation. What's next on that legislative front uh, looking ahead? And, and, and you're right, the, the industry does still feel like uh, a cottonseed designation would provide uh, some much-needed support on an ongoing basis because the, the, the cost share program is a one-time assistance and it, it is, it's, you know, grateful to have it, but it is a one-time program. So as we look beyond, and if, and with still some challenging economics in front of us, uh, you know, we see that cotton seed as an opportunity, but we also understand that if USDA is not going to take that initiative to do it uh, through the discretionary authority, then there's got to be a legislative change. And so that's, uh, while we don't know what, what a vehicle would be, uh, we certainly are looking for those opportunities to try to uh, to try to come up with something. Uh, you know, we know that uh, Chairman Conaway is, uh, is is interested in trying to and being very helpful in this process. So I think that's we're going to look if there's a way in a legislative process sometime through uh, through this year. Uh, you know, be ready to act on that front. Okay, sounds great. I know that's uh, that's good news for the industry, and I know uh, many of our listeners would be happy to uh, to hear that. Gary, thank you. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. You've uh, you've come in. You've got to head back to uh, to Memphis at this point to to get back into uh, I guess the rest of the business of the council. Uh, thank you for joining us today on the Cotton Companion. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back right after this short break. So all right, that'll just about do it for this, the 21st installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank you sincerely for joining us once again. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your buddies about us. Let them know that you are being entertained and informed by the Cotton Companion podcast from Cotton Grower. Um, if they say, well, okay, how do I, how do I access that podcast? You can tell them to get to us through three easy ways. The first is to simply go to cottongrower.com, go to the search bar at the top of the homepage and search for Cotton Companion, or type Cotton Companion in that search bar. And that should take you to a landing page with each of our various 21 now podcast episodes located somewhere therein. Uh, the second way, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you do have uh, an iPhone, if you are knowledgeable about how to operate your apps and whatnot, then simply go to the uh, iTunes and search for the Cotton Companion Podcast. You can subscribe. It's free and easy, and it's uh, an easy way to receive this podcast directly onto your phone the day that it goes live. So that's a very good way to find us. Uh, if you do that, please go ahead, subscribe, and leave us a rating. Let us know uh, what you think of our pod. 
The third and best way, in my humble opinion, to reach the Cotton Companion podcast is to uh, sign yourself up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-newsletter. Jim here works hard each and every week to pack that thing with all of the relevant news of the day. And uh, they hit your mailbox, your email inbox, each Tuesday morning like clockwork. Occasionally during the fall months when things are picking up out there in the cotton belt, they will be reaching your office on, or rather your inbox on Thursdays as well. Uh, you can subscribe to the e-newsletter by simply going to www.cottongrower.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll find a link there to subscribe to our e-newsletter. It's easy peasy. Uh, also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We have about uh, 1,750 followers and likers, uh, respectively, on those two social media platforms. So and you we, will, and we'd love to have more. Yeah, we'd love to have we'd 1,751. We want you to be that guy or that gal. Uh, we uh, so <laughs> my point there was. Uh, you won't be alone. There's There are uh, bukus of your neighbors and fellow cotton producers and cotton professionals in this country are uh, becoming uh, interacting with us via social media, and we certainly enjoy it. You guys are our best sources of info, so we love interacting with you on those platforms. Uh, we hope that you're enjoying our latest issue, which is still the June-July June, July issue. Uh, the, our next one that will be out is another combined issue. It's the August-September issue. It will be hitting your mailboxes the first week of September, but we got some great things lined up for that one. So we hope that you are looking forward to it as much as we are. This podcast is produced by Mr. Marcus Antonelli. He works at the mothership Meister Media Worldwide in Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks on the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your cotton farm all the best.